The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. We're very excited about uh, sharing with you some of the most profound but yet simple truths that are available from the Word of God. Problems, problems, problems. You know, I love the name of this message. I didn't come up with the title. Someone in our ministry when we were in Phoenix came up with this title. It's really a great title because it's not problems. It's problem after problem after problem. It's like, will I ever get free from this? Many, if not most, of the indwelt believers in Christ find it difficult to truly be able to embrace this verse. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Stay with me on this. Consider just some of the things in your life that will cause joy. No, it's consider all. So no matter what it is that's going on in your life, those individual problems are supposed to be producing joy. So consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Okay, just in that sentence, the pieces that are important for us is first of all, consider, stop, slow down. If you want to meditate on something, meditate on this. Consider everything is to produce joy. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. So the next thing would be the various trials. Everyone's list is different in this room. There are some things that you would put on your list that I wouldn't put on my list and wouldn't be considered a trial to me. So that leaves us with a question of what really is a trial? What's it doing to cause us to call it a trial? What's it rubbing up against? Because if you wouldn't call something a trial and I, vice versa, back to you, what is it? What stresses people out? That's what this message is going to show you. It's not addressing individual problems and solutions for uh, each individual as much as it is this unbelievable, overwhelmingly powerful verse is revealing to us, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. One of the key issues that is found in counseling is people are annoyed when someone else tests them. That's where testy comes from. You're testing me. That is unfair. That is, you're playing games with me. Well, the reality is, the scriptures say that God tests whom he loves. Well, if God does it, I probably should do the same thing. I should test to find out if you're sincere. I should test to find out if you truly love God. 
I should test as a disciple, or I should be joining God in his testing. So the key here is that knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. So the goal is, in this passage, endurance. That's the goal. And it is accomplished by testing. So my question to you is, who's doing the testing? It's God. So if you're complaining about your problems and your alleys on your fingers, you better realize something here. If you get crabby, irritable, you are accusing God of being wrong in testing you. It turns quickly into blasphemy. This is a very pivotal message that will now direct us toward our identity in Christ. He finishes with, and let the endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you threaten to take something away from a person and you get a reaction, this is your verse. But if you threaten to take something away from a child or a youth or an adult and they, you're tugging on it and they say, yeah, go ahead and have it. Is there a battle? There's no battle. So the greatest weapon against Satan is you can have it. You see, there's not three days processing that your coworker slapped you. Let him have let him have the other one too. It evaporates Satan. Removes him. There's no goal. There's nothing there for him to work with. If someone takes your shoes, give them your give them your coat as well. Here, take them. Someone forced you to go one mile, you go two miles with them. Jared, let's go for a walk. Someone takes one arm, let them have the other one. I don't work in America. I can guarantee you. So the Western view of problems is birthed out of our psychology movement. The worst degree you could ever get is in psychology. I don't care what school you're going to. There's no art in studying the mind because it's obvious to a four-year-old that mommy is having problems and she blah, blah, blah. Most people can figure out flesh. So it's not a psychological issue. It's a flesh issue. And if you address the psychological, you're going to enhance the self-life. And that's the way most sciences are. So it puts us in a position where we got to look at the world view through either our own eyes or the eyes of Christ within us. I want you to raise your hand on this one, if you're bold enough. How many after meeting Jesus face-to-face, 
shaking hands with him. And he began to minister. And you said, Jesus, we'll let you preach in this church if you go get a master's degree in theology. (laughs) That's just ridiculous, isn't it? Theo is knowing God, he is God, so it, it falls apart in logic real quick. Why is that different than the bum coming in the church? He loves ministering, he loves the Lord, he loves whatever, and he's got Christ living in him. To do unto him is doing unto Christ, so if I don't let him and release him to minister in the church, who am I insulting? So the whole degree thing has become a pathway to the university of Satan, tree of knowledge, which started out where? Pergamum. It's the very first university known in history, and Revelations 12 tells us, Revelation 3 tells us it was the seated, the throne place of Satan. Education is the key component for Satan to keep indwelt believers away from discovering the mind of Christ. It's the key. I know that. I went through that course, I checked those boxes. I've taught that class. Really? Did you throw your Bible out too? Because you know that book? Been there, done that? Truth doesn't work that way. So when we look at our problems, we're going to have to view them from a different worldview. So problems are a direct consequence of our self-life efforts. God then uses these problems to bring the believer to the end of their own resources or self-life in order to create a dependence on Christ's life from within. We believe that the suffering is the key component to learning obedience to Christ Jesus who actually lives in the born-again believer. It is these problems that reveal the person's flesh. So when we look at our purpose statement, we have into all Christians need problems. God allows problems or trials in our lives to bring us to the end of our self-life or to an issue in which we are being selfish. God has a purpose for all the conflict and difficulties, for it is certain to lead us to the inward life of Christ. For the unsaved, it could lead them to the great exchange, salvation. So the Romans 8.28 becomes a whole different kind of perspective that truly, and we know, that my discipler causes all things to work together for the good. Oh, excuse me. 
For we know that God causes the counselor to cause all things together for the good. Oh, excuse me. For we know God causes. There's our key. So he uses these problems and he causes all these things to work together for good to those who love God. If you keep love in its proper context, Greek and Hebrew, it would read this way. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Christ God. So you see, the love is an experiencing of the life. Love life. So those who love God are joining Christ through the Holy Spirit in their partnership in the relationship they have with the Father. You're just getting the privilege of being given a free ride to that relationship that already exists. I had the privilege of thanking Ron Cannoli face to face and he grabbed hold of my head and prayed over me when I asked the Lord for a special miracle which you know, I was sitting on the toilet before we were going to one of his concerts and, and I said I know the Lord this is just way 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 out there but you know I would like to meet Ron and thank him for how you used him to set me free in worship Left it at that, go to the concert, you know, what are we, about a fourth way, halfway up the arena? And he stops right in the middle of things. He says, God's leading me right now to pray over you pastors. Come on down. So, you know, I worked my way down. It was a ways up there, and I finally get into the crowd of all these pastors. And he looks right at me. He says, come here. So I kind of work my way through. You know, our terms fill the Christians. And I work my way forward. You know, I'm standing there and he comes down the steps and face to face. And I told him what, you know, how thankful I was and how God used him to set me free. And he grabbed a hold of me and prayed and I felt another release. And that's why I don't care what you people think when I worship. I am free. But what was stopping me was this self-perspective of, oh, you know, I can't go raising my hands or animating worship or do any of that kind of stuff because of the following reasons. I was being blocked from fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit that is worshiping the Savior. It was turning into blasphemy because I wouldn't lift my hands and be released to do whatever it is I wanted to do. Now I'll dance, I'll raise my hands, I sing loudly. It's just joining. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be with all of life, all things. So I want you to stop and think about how, how restricted are you from joining the existing relationship that the Holy Spirit has with Jesus? 
And are you denying the Spirit? Which is blasphemy. Denying is putting to death. It's undone with you. If you think you've got a good thing going on with Jesus, I want you to truly let the Lord minister to you to see if that is really what's going on in reality. Our first diagram is called Death to Life. This is a favorite diagram by a lot of disciples. You got these two funnels coming in and being connected at the cross. And at the cross, there's this eye of a needle. In order to get to the other side, to the other funnel, you've got to go through this eye. And you're thinking, how in the world am I going to get through this passageway? It's an impossibility. Now get this. The enemy has a sword to your back or torch, better yet, and he's using the world, your flesh, and himself, and he's just constantly putting fire at your back, and there's only one way for you to go, and that's being crushed into being forced to face this eye of the needle. Salvation which will require for you to become nothing in order to get through the cross. He who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. You will be stripped of self by the time your eyeball is forced up against that cross. Still with the enemy, with the torch behind you. There's nowhere to go. So there's two passageways. One, this illustration could be used of bringing someone to the end of themselves and forced to appropriate their nothing in and outside of themselves. And that I have to go through this birthing canal of accepting the power of the cross. So when I get on the other side, it's still kind of rough at first and Day after day, hour after hour, it gets freer and freer and freer where you can actually handle one of these. See, there's no reaction. There's a response of getting the other cheek turned to them and giving your life as a living sacrifice to the one who was abusing you. The way we do it is sue people. America is known for that. Defamation of character. Physical abuse. It goes on and on and on. We sue people because of this lesson. Thus, Christ is not accomplishing his goal. We're seeing fewer salvations. We're seeing fewer exchanged lives. And Satan thinks he's winning... When he's not, but that is the paradox behind all of this. The law of sin and death, the world flesh and the devil, and all of these problems that are producing more and more weaknesses in your life, you're out there reaching out for counsel and guidance and whatever to try to pull you out of that dark little 
squishy place that's coming up ahead. And so what you do is you get all this self-help psychobabble stuffed into your head, makes you feel like a better person because you feel like you're more in charge of yourself. And you just joined the University of Satan. The scriptures are filled with not I, but Christ. The scriptures are filled with coming to the end of ourselves. The scriptures are filled with being nothing to become everything. But those principles aren't being taught like they used to be. We are living in a culture of psychobabble. You have to know that. Psycho, it's your mind. I won't throw a single penny toward psychobabble anymore. No book. If someone sends me a book, I don't send it to the library. I send it to the trash. And believe me, I get funky books sent to me. If it's Christ not doing it, I don't want to be a part of it. Why? Why explore someone's perspective on people helping if it is not releasing Christ to be the healer? That's what this diagram is all about. So when you're on the other side of this, it's the very life of Christ daily that is freeing you more and more and more in circumstances. But there's still guidelines, or what I would call rail guardrails. Those don't go away. It's the law of the spirit of life versus the law of sin and death. Still there. One produces death, the other one produces life. So we have to ask, well, what kind of death am I supposed to experience here? Death to you. And if you're not saved, hmm, you're really going to have to give up a few things. No trash is coming through that hole. Only new life. The next diagram is God uses everything, and I mean he literally uses everything, the good, bad, ugly, and indifferent. So, whether it's Bible studies, whether it's learning, whether it's this, whether it's that, you know, whatever the life circumstances are in this person's life, from good Christian friends to loss of friends, death of a relative, or whatever the case may be, God uses it. Not to better you, not to advance you, none of that uses it to break you. You ever thought a Bible study could break you? Ever thought going to church could break you? There's more stuff going on at churches today that are disrupting and breaking down the attendees than probably most things in Christendom. Everything will be used to bring that person to that cross. So they truly experience an experiential death to cross so that the life of Christ will just automatically cut through and get released in that believer. The release is automatic. You've got to remember that. The release of spirit is not something you do. The release of spirit is automatic. The work is in the death. Denying yourself, picking up your cross, 
and then go to Christ. That's our key. But usually what we do is we put these roadblocks in place, these detours. Oh, I got to study my, I got to get back to my devotionals. Good luck. Or I got to, you know, read my Bible more. I got to, you know, that's usually what we do. Well, it doesn't really bother Christ because that, as the diagram shows, that downward route is going to go up and turn right back down. There's three other diagrams that go with this one. We're just showing you the one. But that arrow will turn and go right back, like, almost like a magnet is drawn it to the cross. No matter how many times you put roadblocks in there or detours, it's just going to go over it. It takes time, some people 40 years, to learn something they could have learned in one single moment, five minutes, at your desk. You drag it out 40 years, matters not to God. Drag it out four minutes, you'll be giving him great pleasure. Because that gives him 40 years to use you. But if you catch it 40 years later, and you've only got a handful of days or years to live, you're the one that shortchanged the release of the Spirit, not God. Which we'll learn in our last lesson about how important love and obedience are and how they go together. So dead to self, life and life to Christ. So as this diagram shows us, Seeing God in what is happening, whatever that thing is, just let God be God, thank Him for it. Understand, you know, this, I mean, I understand the full purposes of this whole thing, but I'm accepting it, which is trusting God, and then don't just say those things, obey. Let it go. I don't know what kinds of slides you guys like, I mean, like water slides or you know, oil slides or whatever. I just like the kind that are really steep and it almost gives me a sense that I'm going to fly off the slide. You know, just so steep, it's like you you're literally don't have contact anymore with the slide. That's the thrill I like. So this is that kind of slide. You can go fast and hard and have the thrill. This is the only way to do it. it takes seconds. Oh God, I don't know what's going to happen here. I've been on this ride before. Let's go! But if you stand up at the top and go, oh man, I can do this. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go down the slide. Why well, most Christians? And what I say to them is, get, go back down the steps. You hesitate here, you die. So I tell people about motorcycles all the time. Do you hesitate in life? Yeah, you're not getting on my bike. Hesitation causes death. And all it takes is one moment of hesitation 
and danger ensues. So this is, let's get her done. Jump on that slide, right to the cross. No months to work it out. And that can only happen, of course, if we're a people of the yes. So in this diagram, here's what we have. We have God, obviously at the top, and Jesus is a son of the yes. By the way, this is actually in scriptures about God is a God of the yes. And so Jesus is, says yes to the God of yes. The Holy Spirit immediately says yes to Jesus, the son of the yes. And then the people, us, is who this yes is supposed to be given to as a gift, bride of Christ. Now we have decision. Steve, you can stand up here and talk about this and, and, and struggle with your fears, and you can just get on that slide and come on down. Yes or no? Get off! Just get off of the, this thing. Unless you're a person of the yes, or you're going to get hurt. So let's say I hesitate. Let's say someone in counseling or discipleship hesitates. That's a no. So instead of, you know, beating the person to death over their no, you set them up for another yes, no. This is what God does. So, Next situation comes and God says, as the parent, he says, you have a choice. Be a bride of the yes or say no. It's up to you. And we say no because we're fear bound. Gives us the consequences, moves us to the next level. Another situation, he says, you have a choice. Yes or no? Get off the slide if it's not a yes. Because you're going to get hurt. So you say no. You get off the slide. You're denying yourself the greatest thrill of life. This incredible slide. Which requires fast, hard-driving thrill of the yes. And of course, you know how you act when you get at the bottom. You're like, oh, it was awesome! I'm going to do it again. Well, of course it was awesome. And then he keeps doing that until you make that yes. But see, if you entertain their fears while they're up there, you know, the parent isn't addressing it, I say, slide down the slide or get off now. It's for their protection. Do you know what fear people do when they're going down slides? Starting to grab the sides and stop, go, stop, go. Or if it's a water slide, it's really dangerous because they start freaking out. I'm like, get off the slide. Keep these people off this slide. Let's ride this thing for everything it's got or don't get on it. That's how the enemy works. He uses the fear jolts 
hesitations even more as you're going down the right to kill you. He came to kill and destroy. Fear causes hesitation. Hesitation causes death. So Jess, what did I teach you girls as you were growing up? He who hesitates dies. So I'd rather have my children run a red light at 70 miles an hour than to hesitate in the middle of an intersection. If you're going to rebel, do it! Do it now! But see this fake Christianity hesitation stuff? The enemy's like, they are locked up. I've got them. They're an easy target. I'd rather have them pay for a ticket than have to deal with death. When Jesus said, let your yes be yes and you be no, and anything above and beyond this is of, someone want to fill in the last blank? What? Evil. Hesitation is evil. Yes, yes, no, no. Get off the slide. You're the yes. Slide down. Go. Woo! The kid's sliding down. Yes, no. Hesitations like someone's going to die today. And that's the piece of, if people take the time to get to know me as a discipler, it will explain to you why it's just black and white to me. But you see, number one thing that is shared with me is you're just too black and white. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Because people can deal with an affirmative yes, and people can deal with an affirmative no. The toughest people to deal with are the people in the gray, the hesitators. I get bored discipling them because I know they're going to run to the middle of the road, the gray zone. And I know exactly what Jesus said about it. Anything above and beyond this is of evil. So that fear person is afraid. They're already covered with evil. They need to leave. And it's okay. Because you're protecting them. If you try to convince them, oh, you can do it, you can do it, and that fear thing hits on the way down again, they grab the sides and flip off. Last I heard, it's called murder. This is a critical thing. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, and anything above and beyond this is of evil. That middle zone right there is where the enemy needs you. A defiant no is a good answer because you get spanked. An absolute yes is a good answer because you get farther and farther away from evil. See? Yes, 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 yes. And you get so far away from that other pattern of unrighteousness, it's weird when you go back to visit. Here's our bottom line. 
Problems are a direct consequence of self-life efforts. God then uses these problems to bring the believer to the end of their own resources, or self-life, in order to create a dependency on Christ's life from within. We believe that suffering is the key component to learning obedience to Christ Jesus, who actually lives inside the born-again believer. It is these problems that reveal the person's flesh. When we were told to consider it an honor or a joy to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ, this is it. It's, it's mandated for us to have relationship with his sufferings. Well, how's that ever going to happen if you're caught up with the fingernail problem? Navel-gazing, psychobabble, is the number one thing that's going to set the Antichrist up for self-rule throughout the entire world. He's going to get the entire world think that their self-rule is a good thought. I know myself. I'm in touch with myself. I love myself. I have accepted myself. I have, I have, I have, I have, I have. And they're going to miss Jesus. Because Jesus is saying this, and they're going to miss it. When they just spent, as a couple in Phoenix said to us over $100,000 with Christian counseling. And you come around and tell me this? Yeah, it's free. So that just blows people away. So they finally get to feeling good about themselves and then they read passages like he who loves his life is going to lose it. He who hates his life is going to gain it. Was Jesus some kind of masochist? What was his problem? He was giving us the mysteries. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.